What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. I think today's passage uh, is really as helpful. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 8 through 21, is our passage that I believe God has called us to uh, today. I'm so excited for us to, to dive through it as a, uh, as a covenant family. All right, so, so what we have here, um, today's main idea is this, and it's already point number one. It's, it's never let difficulty determine your destiny. Never let difficulty determine your destiny. I so badly wish I could have opportunity with those students this last week to tell, I want to now, to tell them, look, do not think that the difficult moment in your life right now is going to be what the rest of your life is going to be. Like, like we need hope today, and we need to know, and by the power of the gospel, we have this truth. No matter what difficulty you're going through right now, this doesn't define your life. It doesn't define who you are. If you're someone who has an illness or a disease, this current difficulty in your life does not determine your destiny. If you are currently going through a, a marriage situation where you're close to divorce or whatever it is, I, I wish through God's word I can encourage you, do not let this difficulty determine your destiny. Fight for your marriage. Just because you're in a season right now that's really rough doesn't mean that God, through repentance and through him working through community, can actually bring something so beautiful from it. Uh, so many example after example, and I wish I could tell every student at Queen Creek High, look, never let difficulty determine your destiny. What we have here in Corinth is Corinth did exactly that. What we're going to read today is Corinth ran away from every single difficulty imagined. And again, it is incredible how close our culture is to the to the culture in Corinth. And we have today, as a society, we have determined that difficulty must always be ran away from. And for some of us, it means running away from life itself. So I want us to look at today, through God's perspective, God's lens, that what I love about the gospel, it's not a fake gospel. We don't preach that there's no pain. We preach that there's purpose in the midst of pain. Amen? The false religion says if you do everything right, you won't have difficulty. Friends, no. The more you do right, the more wrong will come your way. But you're not defined by that. It's going to be really good today. So, so I actually have some good news, and I just almost dropped my Bible. I have some really good news. So uh, a week and a half ago, we had pastors from Tennessee and Missouri come into town, and they met with three different church planners. And, uh, and I was one of them. And so if you saw on my Facebook, they actually prayed for me right here. What's really cool is half of them were Twitter verified. Again, if you're not on Twitter, it means they're a big deal. You know, it's like verified means like, oh man, you're like, cool. And so anyways, great men of God. And so I was able to, to share the vision. But it's really interesting. During these times, it's terrifying. Anybody a fan of Shark Tank? You guys watch Shark Oh my gosh. Like every time I'm like, I, I thought of that, you know what I'm saying? Or I, I watch Shark Tank and I start thinking of ideas and then I go to bed and forget them completely and I don't write them down. Anyways, I could have made millions by now. Um, but, but Shark Tank, it literally feels like that. Like I'm on the receiving, I'm on the end where they're the judge. They were just sitting there on the second row, just like how you guys judge me every, no. And so they were just sitting there and I was trying to spill my vision. I was trying to show, look, this is what God's doing. This is what, it, but it's really interesting because I had to ask myself this question. It was so easy two, two and a half years ago to tell people, this is what we're going to do. But we're two years old now. I had to say, this is what we've done. And I think a lot of us, if we're put in that situation in our life to just, it's really hard, high pressure of somebody is judging you. And would you be able to say, look, God has used me. 
Can you think of that? Like, like I was trying to think, are we successful? And I, and I couldn't lie, of course, right? But, you know, pastors, we exaggerate, and that's totally fine, you know? And so, no. And, and so trying to, to and, and I was thinking through, and I love celebrating the wins, but what it made me do, especially reading this passage this week, is it actually made me realize to celebrate the losses, to realize that what has seemed a really difficult part of our journey is actually the, the, the very thing that has sanctified us as a community and has actually enabled us to reach more people in a deeper and more effective way. And it was something I, I was super thankful for, and so I realized what I did, I, I've had this three times, and I guess I struck out the other two because I never got funding from the other two. But this time I said, look, here's everything we want to do, but here's some struggles we have. So I'm listing all the struggles that, that, I, that we've had in the last two years and what's hard and, and, and the reason why and, and all this stuff. And I, we don't have enough time for me to, to get through it. But what I, what I realized is a lot of us, we need to realize that the struggle is just as important as the wins. And what is so cool, by God's grace, two churches have already contacted. There's three that we're looking to partner, and two of them are partnering with us. So very exciting. They're going to give us financial contribution on a monthly basis, as well as sending teams to help us. So isn't that really cool? Praise the Lord. Awesome. So we're excited that we have partners in Tennessee and Missouri. They're praying for us this morning, asking for God to put uh, God's blessing over us. But here's the idea. Our idea of success is usually not in line with God's idea of success. Would you agree to that? Most of the time, and that's what's hard. That's what makes us so depressed because we're thinking, God, this is what I envisioned, and God says, I know, and I use that for a while, but I actually have you somewhere else completely different, but it's so much better. And that's actually what we're wrestling with. I'm going to go to the end to, to do a spoiler alert. In, in chapter 4, uh, ending in verse, where am I? Okay, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says in verse 20, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I love that. Paul, he, he talks about, we're going to see how this leads up to it, but Paul is saying at the end of the day, look, what we have as a community of Jesus followers, we're not just all talk, but we're all walk. We're not, when we actually say we liberate people, we literally liberate people from death to life. He's saying what we have here is so real and so genuine, but what we're going to learn is we all want that. We all want this kingdom of God. It's not a matter of talk. We all want the power, but what we see is where we're different with God is the path that we're going to read, verses 8 through 19, is terrible. The path to get to the power is horrendous, but the power is true. And a lot of us, I think it's our path to power that's really not in line with God's. So let's look at verse 8. It says in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. Guys, this is so good. This is what's called sanctified sarcasm. Okay, this is like holy sarcasm. He is making fun of them. He's saying, you're already kings. You don't need me, right? You don't, oh, my bad. I am the peasant here. You're the one who's loaded, right? But what's really funny is we learn Corinth has... A ton of problems. Corinth, the, 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 the guys, uh, you know, hanging out, I'm just going to put it that way, with his stepmother, and, and people are, are getting drunk off communion. This, this is a terrible church, but they're putting off this facade. They're saying, I have everything that I need because I have all the worldly riches. And so Paul's making fun of them, and I love it because it makes, it allows me to make fun of people. No. Okay, verse 9. It says, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. Like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels 
and to people. Oh, this is so good. So reading this, a lot of people interpret this. If you remember chapter three, Paul gives us three pictures of the church, right? You have the field, you have, you have the, the building, and you have a temple. Here, Paul is giving us in chapter four, three pictures of a church leader. And one here, uh, the first one that we read last week was a steward. This section right here is a spectacle. Now, I was trying to figure out what a spectacle means. So I was studying the Greek and trying to figure out the context, and everybody would have understood it back then. And we get it now once we explain it. Spectacle literally means, you guys ever seen The Gladiator? If not, we are not friends. Jordan, you've at least seen that one, right? I learned yesterday you haven't seen School of Rock. You have not seen Gladiator. We are doing nothing else today but watching The Gladiator. Moving on. So The Gladiator is what this is. The spectacle, this was occurring during this time in Corinth when Rome would conquer any city. They would establish these Roman games. And it was like The Gladiator, like the Colosseum, where peasants, these poor people, would be put into this stage and they would have to fight wild beasts to the death. And the rich people were the ones who were entertained. They were the ones in the stands rooting it on. And then you have, what's his name? Glu- Maximus, whatever his name is. What's uh, Montoya? No, that's Princess Bride. Uh, but, but anyways, you have him and he kills it, right? And then uh, whatever. And it's a fantastic movie, Jordan. I'm so upset with you. Okay, so uh, this is what it is. Paul is saying, look, you think the Christian life, You think the path to power is about making it to the stands. You think it's about being the one, paying the money, having all the wealth, and watching other people die. Paul's saying, you don't get it. I'm the church leader here. I'm leading you by example. Here's what God has called us to do on this earth. We are called to be the poor people who get beat up by the lions, who get killed by the lions. This shocked Corinth. What? What? This isn't the gospel in, in their mind. They're thinking the gospel is us having wealth. The gospel is us making it big and having our best life now, right? But that is not the gospel. Paul, I just love what he's doing here. He's saying, look, we're weak, we're reviled, we're last place, we're condemned to die, we're dishonored, we're homeless, but yet somehow I am doing better than you are. Look, look, look verse 10. He says, uh, we are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. Again, sarcasm. We are weak, oh, but, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. Uh, Continuing in verse 12. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. We'll get to that. Paul was confronting their false gospel that pain and purpose never go together. You guys ever heard that gospel before? Follow Jesus and everything will be taken care of in your life, right? Follow Jesus and there will be no pain. This bought, sold to the bank. Corinth thought that this is what it means to be a Christian. So it meant they let difficulty determine their destiny. Anytime that anything was difficult in their life, they turned around or turned aside and went around the pain. But what they didn't realize, and a lot of us don't realize, when we go around the pain, we're actually also going around our purpose, We're missing the thing, actually, that God blessed us. Here's what it is. As a Christian, and I'm convicted, trying to think through, how do I live this gospel-centered life? What it has here is Paul actually referenced it in chapter 2. This is called cross-centered theology. This is the belief that the cross is the, is the foundation to our faith, meaning we die to ourselves. Amen? That pain, that there's nothing more painful than the cross. Corinth woke up every day and asked this question. I wonder if you ask this question yourself. Is what I'm doing today... Make makes me happy. If it makes them happy, then they were going to do it. Every day. Woke up, what makes me happy, then I'm going to do it. 
Paul is saying, I wake up every day and says, what makes me holy? You see the difference there? Now, what's so interesting is happiness. If you pursue happiness, you won't get holiness. But what's incredible is when you pursue holiness, you actually have that genuine happiness. But you can't do it the other way around. Paul is saying, here's what we call it today. We call today, and Paul's been talking about it all throughout Corinth. And guys, this is such a big thing we have here today. It's called the prosperity gospel. Corinth believed in the prosperity gospel. Now, a lot of us, we immediately deny the prosperity gospel. And I'm realizing I need to change the way I define prosperity gospel. Growing up, I always talk about prosperity gospel means follow Jesus and you'll get the nicest car that you want. Follow Jesus and you will get tenfold, hundredfold, all the money that you need. It's this belief that follow Jesus to get money, right? This is rampant in certain parts of our country, definitely certain parts of the world. Africa buys this because they think we don't have any money. If we follow this Jesus, we'll get money. It's not their fault as much as it's those preachers' faults who proclaim this message. And at the foundation of it all, if you ever hear a preacher say, come to Jesus to get money, they think that money is more important than Jesus. Friends, Jesus is so much better than all the money in the world. Amen, Trey. Thanks, Trey. You're welcome, Trey. Appreciate it. All right? But here's, guys, get this. And I was trying to figure out how to apply this to us. I'm realizing, especially us young folk, we don't believe in that prosperity gospel, but there's a different prosperity gospel we believe in. Here, I saw this on Twitter. I'm always referencing, I'm trying to get you guys on. I'm trying to get more followers. All right? Jackie Hill quoted this. It says, the new wave of prosperity teachers may not mention money much, if at all. But they sure know how to make the Bible more about you than about God. The new prosperity gospel is come to Jesus to have your best life. Come to Jesus because we love you. And that, yes, I do love you, right? But, but it's not about you, right? Like if I have a billboard, I'm not going to say I'm here for you. Uh-uh, sorry, I'm here for Jesus, amen? And the best thing I can do for you is to not be here for you. But I love you, right? But I'm not here for you foundationally. Uh, Another one on Twitter. Okay, it says this. It says, look, we have to understand this. Satan doesn't whisper, believe in me. But here's what most of us believe. Satan loves to whisper, believe in yourself. And what we have is a community, a culture of people that's coming to church because they believe so much in them. And it's not a cross-centered theology of let me die first in order to have true life. It's let Jesus die for me and I'm going to keep building my life. You guys see the difference there? And it sounds so good, but it's the most depleting, most depressing thing in the world. I heard a lot of people, Queen Creek, five suicides since last May. People just keep saying they just need to know their love. They need to know their value. And I agree to that. But I also know that I, all of my friends, my, our whole lives, we were always told you're loved, you're valued, you're the best person in the whole world. But I actually think it's why they're so depressed is because they know they've been hearing that they're supposed to be these great people, but they actually know at the end of the day they're not. And they don't have hope. And so what our theology says, look, you're terrible. You're a sinner. That's why you don't like yourself. But when you die to that, Christ gives you a new life. When you focus on him, you actually have purpose. You actually have hope. Do you guys see that? The answer is not just writing them a fun card. The answer is giving them Jesus and being realistic about where they're at. Because guys, teenagers, they're not stupid. They know. Whenever whenever I hear people say, I love you, I think I don't care what you say, except it's my wife, right? 
I don't believe you unless you give me tangible evidence, right? Unless you actually tell me. Like, I, it's just not this, oh, let's just show more hearts and everything will be better. That's not it, okay? Because I'm a man. I don't like hearts. All right, moving on. Um, guys, does this mean, though, that Christians, I got to move on. Does this mean Christians are miserable? No. But, but here's what we have to realize. There's a tension. As a Christian, when I am, I'm not, oh, man, I've, I sinned. But, but when I am in this rhythm with God, I have this peace that passes understanding, but I also at the very same time have sorrow because I'm here. You know what I'm saying? It's this, I have this joy because I follow Jesus, but at the same time, I have so much pain because I know that this world is not how God originally designed it. And I see people hurting other people. I see me hurting other people. I see people hurting me. And while I do have this great joy and this great peace that's grounded in God's word, I still ache at night because I know God created us for so much more. You see how that's the answer? The Christian is realistic and realizes, I am deeply loved by God, and that gives me hope, but it's not fake, and I realize that there are pains in this world, and I'm not going to veer around them. I'm going to talk about them, and I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to say, yes, there is pain in this world. It's called cross-centered theology. My purpose is grounded in my pain. I don't have purpose in spite of my pain. I have purpose in the midst of pain. I need to get going, but what if we stopped running from difficulty as a church body, and what if we started running to it? What if in the midst of these teenage crises, what if we're the ones who get up and meet those students and deal with those terrible, awkward conversations, but we meet because God loves to show up in the middle of the mess? What if we did that as well? Like verse 10 and 11 again. It says, <laughs> Trey, come on, you need to hurry. I know. Okay, it says, look, uh, 10, 11. No, let's look at 11. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. If I were Paul, I'm going to be honest, when that many, if I'm not eating at night, I would start thinking, God, you definitely don't want me here, right? Paul got shipwrecked three times. After twice, I start thinking, maybe I need to stop being a missionary. God, you clearly don't want me to go places because you keep breaking my ship. We have this deep embedded, because of the culture, we think, if God is in it, then every door will open, and it'll be so smooth, brother, you just walk right through. Right? It's like, if the door is locked, that's the way to go. You know, like, that's actually how God seems to work. Like, in planning this church, I thought some things would just be easy, right? No! But that doesn't mean I stop. That means, wow, God, that actually, maybe this means this is exactly where you want me to be. Some of us have made so many decisions about what God wants for our life, and, and we think, oh, this is point number two. This is so good. Look, no, no, don't put it up yet. Okay, here. Okay, whoa, yes, okay, here. Don't put it up. Paul is showing us two different worldviews. You have this view of ambition. Ambition means just go for it, and, and, if, and if everything gets too hard, just change your route, but keep pursuing. And what Paul is saying, Paul is giving us a worldview of submission, of saying, God, okay, even though I'm going through this pain, I'm submitting to you in the midst of pain. I'm doing whatever you say. It's cross-centered theology, right? It's, it's I'm dying to myself every day. Completely different types of, of theology. Look at verse 12. Uh, man, I'm... Verse 12, it says, we labor working. Okay, I've read it a thousand times. But it says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth. Like everyone's garbage. I love that translation. Like everybody's garbo, right? Point number two. 
Ambition says leave. Submission says lose. Look, this is cross-centered theology. Look, cross-centered theology teaches us this. Some blessings come now, but all blessings come later. Write that down. Some blessings come now, but all blessings come later. What that means is in the midst of pain, in the midst of me trying to pursue God's will, and everything is going against me, I can say, you know what, God? I am not going to only do decisions that give me the most blessings because I know in heaven I'll get all the blessings I need. I know, God, that you're giving me just enough. So what we do, we are so prideful, and I'm talking about myself, whenever pain comes our way, our first inclination is to leave then I don't need that for my life. I need more blessings. I don't need to go through that. Cross-center theology says, no, die to yourself, die to yourself, die to yourself. This means when there's certain painful moments in your life, God is not calling you to run away. God is calling you to stay there and keep losing. Lose. That's so good. I heard a pastor, James McDonald. You guys ever listened to him before? Okay. He said this quote. He says, you are never more like Jesus than when someone slanders you and you do nothing about it. Submission says lose. Guys, how many of us, I think we could truly make a difference in this world if when we are reviled on, t- on Facebook, let me change the social media platform, when we are slandered, when we are spoken ill against, guys, what if we as Christians, what if we're so confident in what Christ has done for us that we let them? What if it's like, okay, but I'm going to keep loving you and I'm going to keep blessing you. When you revile me, I'm going to bless you back. Can you imagine that? Because everybody, when somebody gets spoken ill against, we just spoke ill back, right? Well, I hate you. We need a new president, right? What if instead we just said, okay, I'm so sorry you think that way. Here's a gift card. You know, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? What if we did that? Ambition says leave. Submission says lose. And can I be honest? I don't like this passage because this is way harder. But Paul says, do you want that power that I'm talking about at the end of the day? Then learn to take the L. Learn to be embarrassed. Learn to be humiliated. Learn to say, even though you know you're right, don't tell them they're right, right? Or, you know, like if it's a theology thing. But, but at the end of the day, if you know you're right and they don't agree with you, you still love them anyways. You still care for them anyways. Even though, you know, deep down, you're so stupid, right? Don't do that. Love them. Give to them. Help them. That is cross-centered theology because here's what it is. Here's, this is so much gospel confidence. Guys, I am willing to lose now because I know I'm going to win later. That is the gospel. I will lose now. Jim Elliott, you ever heard of him? Uh, missionary to Ecuador. Him and four other people went to go in a village who's never heard the gospel before, and they hated him. When they got there, they were completely against him. There's a movie. It's called End of the Spear. You guys ever seen that movie? I saw it in theaters. I supported them. What up? Jim Elliott went well, for three or four or five years. He just continual, they were totally against him, totally against him, totally against him. And they actually, he lost his life. And people were saying he was apparently a very well-educated man and he could have done very well in the States. But he said this quote. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He says, I willingly give my life. I willingly die for the gospel because... I'll take the L now because I'm going to be winning later. That is what this world needs. This world needs that more than just, and we need it. Jesus loves you. 
we also need to tell them, look, I am so confident in the love that God has for me that you could slander me and I will love you back because I'm not defined by you and I actually care for you. And I know that there's so many reasons you hate me right now, but I'm going to keep loving you through this until you realize that my God is your true God. Amen? All right. I love this. Verse 14, it gets real nice, okay? So we're marching through this. Paul is saying, look, ministers, guys, church leaders, guys, church people, we need to have tough skin. We need to stop, oh my gosh, you said something mean to me, right, and get them back or whatever. We need to have tough skin. Tough skin, okay? Endure it. It's going to happen. But we also need a tender heart. The greatest people who do the most ministry, who have this power, they have tough skin, but a tender heart. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's saying, look, I'm pointing you out. I was so sarcastic right there by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I love. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel terrible. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm telling you this because I want to be drastic here for you to recognize the difference. I care so deeply for you to start taking the losses rather than leaving because you keep leaving these situations where God was just about to work. So I'm being, I'm being kind of mean to you right now, but he says, but I am admonishing you. Some translations say, I am warning you like a father warns his children. He has a tender heart and says, I care for you. As your, guys, as your pastor, I love being a pastor because I care for my flock. I love you guys. Tyler and Ashley, they're part of our, our uh, church. They got married last night. I felt like a dad. I was like tearing up like, those are my kids. You know, getting married. This is so cute. You know, and so like I actually, I want you to realize this. At the end of my life, when I come before the throne, I have the duty of mentioning every single one of your names and talking about how I minister to you and care for you. For some of you, that's terrifying for me, right? But I want you to know that, and Paul is trying to put that here and says, look, I care for you deeply. But let's keep reading, because this is, oh, we need this. Verse 15, I need to hurry, Chaz. Okay, for you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is saying, don't let difficulty determine your destiny, but he's also saying you cannot achieve your destiny by being a spiritual orphan. Paul is saying, look, not only do you have an issue of running away from every difficulty, you also have an issue from running away from every single spiritual authority. This is a hard topic to talk about because even me, I grew up having kind of a millennial understanding. When I started this church, I thought, look, I just need to be buddies with everybody, right? I'll just be your friend. I'll be so cool. I'll be on YouTube, right? Like, we'll just be friends and we'll just take Jesus together to everybody. Come on, you know? But this whole buddy-buddy, no hierarchy system actually isn't anywhere in the Bible, what God is, Paul is saying, look, I care for you, I love you, but I am also, you have to recognize what he says here. You have a lot of buddies. You have a lot of people running alongside of you, but you need a father. You need a spiritual authority, someone for you to submit to and listen to God's word from and pursue God in a holy manner. Because here's this, if you only have buddies, you will never be sanctified to the extent that you can be sanctified because every single time your buddies get, tell you 
of your sin, you will always see it as advice that you can lightly take. But if, if, if it's your dad, right, that tells you to do something, you have this in you of, wow, I need to take what he said into absolute consideration and truly figure out how can I repent and turn from this. You guys get it? The last point. In the midst of authority, look, ambition says besides. Beside, right? Submission says under. Paul is saying there's the worldview difference. Guys, this feels so awkward, but as your pastor, and I'm not here, and I want to make sure, because we have a, such a terrible, not biblical view of authority, this doesn't mean do whatever I say, and if you don't do it, right? But at the same time, for the sake of your spiritual health, when we bring God's word every week, you need to submit under that word. And I am very intentional how I try to pastor. It's not, here's my idea of the day. Here's what I think. Here, here's what God is saying. So he is my chief shepherd. And as the shepherd of this flock, I am hearing God's word and delivering it to you. Do you guys get it? But we have to, no matter what, and if, this is, if you don't see me as an authority, then go somewhere else. The point is you need this. And you need to hear that authority and to the point to where you're, not where you say, hello, no, you know, none of that trash, right? But what it is, is of, okay, I need to take this word seriously. I need to put it in my heart. I need to repent. I need, you guys get it? Am I making sense? Anybody throwing tomatoes yet? All right. Thank you, Casey. Okay. um, My job is to shepherd you, to lead, feed, care, know, and protect. And I care for you deeply. We, this is why we have a local church. This is why we don't have just podcasts. We have community. We have five different groups. We're living life together. Your growth group leaders are spiritual authorities over your life. Who is it that you have? Who is it you have in your life to where you are not just running beside the race of the gospel, but you're running under them? And who are you? Even better, I think every single one of us is empowered and equipped to not only be under somebody, but to also have somebody else under you. This is discipleship. Paul is saying the only way for this to work, for you to have this power, not a matter just of talk, but a matter of power, is that we're authentic in our faith where we cling to Jesus, verses 8 through 13, no matter what happens to us and we pursue him. But now verses 14 to 17, he's saying, not only do we need to be authentic and just genuinely love Jesus, but we also need to understand authority and to walk under that authority because look, you cannot get to power without pain, and you cannot get through the pain without a shepherd. So Paul is saying what the Holy Spirit saying here, not me. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that this is making sense to us. God, you are the chief shepherd, and you are calling every single one of us to submit to you. God, I pray that we have an understanding of the gospel. The true gospel is not ambition. The true gospel is submission. But I am so convinced that submission will take us further than ambition ever dreamed of. And so, God, I pray that we would have a healthy church culture here that I have not helped to establish, but a healthy church culture that submits healthily, not blindly, not in this submitting form that a lot of us think of, of just, you know, where we don't have an opinion. None of that, God. And I hope that we hear our heart. But, God, I also see that we need to have people in our lives that we submit to just how Children need to submit to their parents because, God, there are some blind spots we have as people of God that cannot be changed unless we hear it from someone in authority and we change our ways. But God, most importantly, I pray, Lord, that we submit to you. God, this world is full of pain. This world is full of hurt. We've seen that clearly evident these last couple weeks with the Florida shooting, with these suicides. It's a hard time. 
But God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have an answer. And our answer isn't to leave. But God, in the midst of all this crazy stuff, Lord, we can lose. In other words, we can, we can endure this pain because, Jesus, you endured the ultimate pain on the cross in our place. God, that we can lose, we can be reviled, we can be spoken ill against because, King Jesus, you ultimately have won for us. We have the victory. We have our identity that's wrapped in you. God, I'm asking you for this message through the power of the Holy Spirit to shape our lives. May we take the losses, but may we also be under that authority because it's how you have designed it. In my flesh, it doesn't make sense. In my flesh, I want to be buddy-buddy. And some people, we need that. But, but God, I pray, Lord, that we would take these words seriously from Paul, which they are from God yourself. May we put this into action. God, I want us to be a church, a healthy church, that is a shining light in this dark city. And God, if our eyes haven't been awakened to the depression and heartache that our city experiences, may this be the week that we open our eyes and see that there are so many strongholds, but we serve somebody who has a stronger hold and who is more powerful. And you are going to let that power be made evident through our submission, not our ambition. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.